Thank you, Gwen. Today our scripture reading is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. The supremacy of the Son of God, Paul wrote, according to the Holy Spirit. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. What are thrones of powers or rulers of authority or things have been created through him and for him? He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the hair of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he may have the supremacy. For God were pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Hello to those online. Welcome to you as well. The beard is still here, folks. I don't, it must be a Holy Spirit move because it's so itchy. Someone asked me, why am I doing this? And I said, I, I really don't know because I don't like it. It's itchy, but it's here. So maybe, I don't know, am I in denial morning or something? I don't know what's going on. Something's going on with your pastor. You can pray for me, but the beard is here. And uh, Georgia keeps winning. Maybe that's what it is. There you go. Yeah. Yep. So. We need to get the blue jackets on that, that line of train of thought, too. But as we're here today, yeah, woo, as we're here today, church, uh, guess what? We are closing out a sermon series. I know, mixed review, right? Because you're excited. I know you're so excited for the last one because it's going to maybe pack a punch. And then you're so bummed that, of course, it's coming to an end. And I know, I know, I know. But alas, all good things come to an end as we're here today. But we are ending our sermon series on the book of Colossians. So again, if you haven't been with us, or those online, if you haven't been with us, we've been looking at specifically four books of the Bible that are back to back to back. And um, they are writings of Paul to the churches of the local areas that uh, many times he got to go visit and be part of, or even start himself. And uh, it's our sermon series called God's Electric Power Company, which means nothing but just the first letter of each of those is actually the letter of the first book, or the book in the order. And so again, uh, if you ever happen to need to know that, if your child or grandchild ever comes to you and says, hey, what is the order of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians? You can answer them. You're welcome. I know you need that right here today. But let us pray here today uh, together. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. The Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I also have to confess that this was one of those weeks I did not get to uh, finish this, the uh, sermon slides here today. So this is your map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so as you're here today. But if you were looking, as we've been looking at each of the different places and where they are, it's always good to remember that Paul was writing these letters to specific churches in specific areas of the world. And so if you can just imagine Turkey up there, the country and nation of Turkey, right? 
And if you imagine on the west side of Turkey, remember where Ephesus was, if you're here with us, kind of on, right about on, all the way over to the ocean, if you will, or the Mediterranean Sea, that is, if you went inland from it, there was Colossae, right? So not as inland as Galatians was, as far as being the very middle of Turkey, but a little bit more inland than that. It was a, a place of great history. It was a place of great things. But by the time Paul had come around, it was starting to fade, if you will. And so this was not one of the biggest cities of the world. You know, like Ephesus was a city. Rome was a city, right? Corinth was a, like, it was the New Yorks and the Beijings of the world, if you will. And Colossae was like Columbus. The center of the earth. No, I'm just kidding. But, we were like, but it was not the biggest city on earth, but yet it still had very much relevance to the area, very relevance to where it was. And a lot of good things uh, were happening through it. And so you can imagine that's where we are in the world when Paul writes this letter. Now, of course, we've been looking at each of these books and asking ourselves the big question, why? What's the main reason Paul is writing these books and kind of exploring that? And again, each one of these books has so many great verses that we slowed down and we could go through and, and look through. But we're asking kind of that big, huge question, looking down on it and applying it again to our lives. Before I get there, I want to just say that there are some interesting facts about this book of Colossians, some interesting things. For instance, a lot of times when Paul writes to a church, he either helped found it or he was one of the influential people that spent time there and did things. Paul didn't know this church. Not only did he not found it, he had never even been there. He didn't know the people at all besides what he had been told from people who had gone there. Who he did know was a man named Epaphras, who was short for Epaphroditus, but they called him Epaphras to kind of separate him from the other Epaphroditus that we read in Philippians. But there's another guy running around. His name is shortened to Epaphras. And so he actually is the one that went and started this church. But as we read in this letter, he's a close comrade of Paul and the rest of the apostles as they're going around and, and doing different things. But this church has been started by Epaphras. And in fact, what's happened is Paul is in prison, just like some of the other books we've been reading. And Epaphras has come to visit him, and he's told uh, Paul about this church in Colossae. And when Paul hears this, he decides to commission and write this letter. And so this letter is written because of what Epaphras had shared with Paul. So again, this is another prison uh, book, but it is important to understand that a lot of times the prisons, if you will, uh, there are different versions of this. You could be thrown into this solid chain to the wall. And given, you know, just really bad circumstances and, and, you know, thrown in a dungeon, so to speak, that did exist back in the day. But a lot of times you were on house arrest, or a lot of times you were on house arrest, maybe even in chains with guard put upon you, but people were free to come and visit as they will, and you would will. And this is definitely the case in this book, because as we see in this, not only did people get to drop off food and things like this, but if you read the end of the book, Paul has a whole crew with him. And in fact, when Paul opens up this book, he actually names another specific author with him. He says, Paul and Timothy. And so this letter isn't just written by Paul himself. This letter is also commissioned with Timothy in joint unison with him as they commission this letter to talk to them. But when you get to the end of the letter, there's a whole bunch of greetings that are sent. And just listen to some of these names. You might know them. They might sound familiar. There is Timothy, obviously, that we read at the beginning. There's also Anisimus. Now, we found him in the book. He was the slave that's been going around and doing stuff with the apostles. And his, uh, we learn in the book of, uh, you call it Philemon. A lot of people call it, I call it Philemon. But as you go through it, he actually is, is talked about in this book. He's from Colossae. And Onesimus is one of these interesting guys where he's a slave, yet he's out doing the work. And if you read his story and kind of get into that book of the extra books and things like that, it's a really interesting thing. But yet he's there. 
Uh, Luke is mentioned, the actual gospel writer of Luke. Now remember, he's not one of the disciples per se that was walking around with Jesus, but he's a close comrade of Paul's. And actually, we're told that he is a doctor in this book. So if you ever heard that, the idea that maybe Luke was a doctor, it's not just because if you ever read the Gospel of Luke, it seems to get really kind of into some of the details of some of the, the sicknesses people were dealing with, but it's also because Paul calls him a doctor in the book of Colossians. We also have Mark. Guess who Mark is? Mark is John Mark, who wrote, guess what? The Gospel of Mark, <laughs> right? I know it's really complicated stuff, right? Who, again, was one of the close comrades of Paul and Barnabas, who actually Paul and Barnabas got over a fight about him. But at this point of the day of the story, Mark, Paul has seen the goodness of Mark again, and he actually mentions Mark by name. And some other people that we don't know of, but is mentioned, there's also a Tychicus, an Astrochus, a Demas, and a Nympha as well, that are all running around, you know, and basically being sending their greetings through Paul in this deal. And so they were. It was a well-connected church. There were people from everywhere doing all sorts of things with the apostles and the, and the disciples going out and sharing. There was a whole team, if you will. And in fact, it's better maybe thought of some of these letters that instead of just envisioning, you know, sometimes we say someone wrote a letter. In the old days, you think of like just them sitting at a desk and writing a letter. That's probably not the case. You could almost imagine like a group of people sitting there writing this letter, right? And, and they kind of go through some revisions and some things as they kind of get the, the person to write it out. And then finally, they send the letter through somebody to actually go. Now, what's also interesting about this letter is Paul tells them, once you're done reading it, go over to the church in Laodicea, which is a church that's very close to Colossae. And in fact, you might know that name Laodicea because it's in the book of Revelation, most notably, as one of the seven churches that it's written to. And what's interesting about that is he says, hey, go, go there and read it. He says, oh, and by the way, I sent them a letter. I want you to get their letter and read it to you guys as well. Again, Paul didn't start Laodicea. He doesn't, wasn't ever visited there as far as we know and things like that, but yet he was writing letters to churches in this time. Now, we've lost that letter. We don't know what happened to it in history, but it is interesting, and I think worthy of pointing out, and maybe something you, you might have heard uh, in your time or maybe you'll hear in the coming days, is that Paul would be surprised that his words became Scripture. And I would argue he wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> In fact, he wrote these letters, and in fact, this is an example of him saying, not only is this letter good for you, take it to another church in another place and read it there, and take their letter and come back and read it to you guys. And in fact, some, in some of the letters when he writes, he actually says, okay, um, all I've been writing to you, you know, has been the Lord, but I want to give you some like, personal advice. And he actually takes time to stop out and like, step aside and say, I want you to just earmark this. This is from me, not the Lord, but here's my wisdom to give to you right, in your specific situation. So in other words, the whole rest of the letter, in his view, is the Lord speaking through him. And yet, we see right here another example of Paul saying, take this letter, it's edifying not just for you specific church of Colossae, use it in other churches to build and uplift them. Read it, share their letter with you, share it, spread it, let the gospel be known. And of course, Paul would not have been surprised that the church held on to these letters as best it could, and that we still to this day read these words of his understand what Jesus Christ means in our life. Of course he would have thought that. And finally, the other interesting thing is that uh, at the very end of the book, he writes his greetings in his own hand. He actually says, hey, and you, you can imagine if you saw the original document, it was all nice and legible and like it had been a professional scribe up to this point. 
And all of a sudden, Paul picks up the pen and starts like writing, right? And it's, it totally changes, right? Maybe even changes ink colors and things, right? And Paul picks it up and actually writes the final greetings of his letter in his own handwriting before it's sent to the church of Colossae. Now, those are just fun, but those aren't why he wrote the letter, but just some interesting things that are worthy of considering because they actually add to a whole lot of other conversations outside of what we're talking about today that are actually pretty meaningful in today's age. But the reason why he writes it, he actually tells us. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Colossians chapter 2. Or if you have your phone, you're welcome to get it out. Or if you just want to listen to it, you're welcome to do that as well. And I want to read you Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He says this to the Colossians. He says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all anywhere who I have not met personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, who is the hidden treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. Now, I'm going to pause there. There's one more, but so far we have three things. So Paul writes this letter. And in fact, he wrote it to basically any Christian he didn't know, right? Including us here today, right? I want you to know these three things. And I'm writing this and I'm going through this. and I'm struggling for what I'm going through because I want you people who have never met but people that I love dearly, to know these three things. Be encouraged in heart. Now, I don't know about you, but the world is full of trouble. Turn on the news, you get it. Don't turn on the news. You're going to get it anyways, right? I mean, it's going to come out and seek you and find you, whether or not it's, you're looking for it or not. It will come and find you and tell you all about the world's troubles. Guess what? Col- Colossae had those same exact things. Maybe a little bit different than what we have today, but they worried about war. They worried about what was going on. They worried about people tearing each other apart. They worried about could they exist another day. They worried about even prejudice, or not prejudice, but persecution that is, and other things that happened to them in those days. Yet Paul writes to them because the message that he has is encouraging to the heart. Keep that in mind. We're going to get to what his message mainly is in just a minute. But he wants to encourage us in heart. He wants to unite us in love. Now, I think it's kind of worthy of stopping here because, of course, his, his message is not, hey, just all of you are the same. Everybody out there is the same. Be united in love. His message is, hey, church, Jesus is the center of your life. You are united in love when you're turned towards him. I had a youth pastor that would often do this illustration and so he'd get all the youth, and he'd, you know, there'd be 30 of us or so, and he'd, he'd say, all right, everybody get in a big circle. And so we all get in a big circle, and everybody had to turn inwards, you know, and he said, all right, pretend I'm Jesus, right? And so he stood in the middle, you know, the very kind of spoke of the wheel, so to speak. He stood in the middle, and he said, all right, everybody take a step towards me. Step towards Jesus. Of course, everybody took a step towards Jesus. Guess what happened? They got closer. They got more united. He said, hey, everybody step backwards from Jesus right? They got less together, less united. And the imagery was this, of course, that you and I can understand very well, is that if Jesus is the center and we're heading towards, there's going to be uniting of heart and mind and love for each other. When Jesus is in the center, of course, or not even just off-center, if you will, a lot of times we'll come not together, but apart from each other. And that, that community that God has called us to, to search for and yearn for, and to just, each one of us has in the depths of our soul to be loved and be accepted and be in a community, a body that loves Jesus Christ and understands his work in our life, 
cannot come together if we're stepping away from Jesus. And so in some way, you know, it sounds kind of weird, but your personal relationship with Jesus matters to the church more than you think it does. And actually, our community of being united, it matters so much that you step towards Jesus and not away. Otherwise, we use that unique glue that holds us together and we'll be stripped down. If you have any doubt of what community means in our world, we search for it in so many ways. And, and I think in so many ways, we've seen just kind of how to, we use technology and how in so many ways it's failing us in some ways. And specifically, one of the ways it does is a community. People are searching for it, and yet we, we see it burned down all the time. I, I heard a story of uh, some, some people. They're not Christians or anything, but they're just, they're just teenagers. And they realized one day, they challenged each other. They said, hey, let's get rid of our phones. And by that, I mean like all the smartphones and stuff. They said, let's just, let's just get rid of them. And so they, they did it for like a week. And they came back and they said, my life is better. <laughs> and all of them said that. They said, let's do this. And they started a group, literally, that is an anti-technology group, right, running around. Now, I don't know if it's going to take hold and do all these things, but I think here's what happened. I think when they got rid of the technology, they were forced to have community amongst themselves. And what they were really looking for, the incarnational blood, flesh community that can only exist Another example of just how much we yearn for community. I was reading this morning about, uh, it was on CNN, I think it was, but it was about vampire groups. Have you heard of this? I had no idea. I don't know if this was just a, a, a weird thing or what, but like, there are people, there are covens that exist, especially in large cities. And if you read about them, they get like, like fake fangs and stuff, and they do the whole ritual stuff and all that stuff and all these weird things that they do. But when you talk to them, the primary thing that they, all, that they were saying in this interrupt article is like, hey, yeah, we were a vampire coven and we blah, 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 blah. But it was like, hey, we do this for community, right? Because they were yearning and searching for just finding somebody. Now, I don't, hear me, I don't recommend going join a vampire coven, right? <laughs> I don't. But I do absolutely understand that, right? That in a world that we live in, you're searching for it, you'll find it anywhere you get. And even something in the semblance of it. You'll take it and you'll run with it. I get it. I get it. But I also want to tell you, people, that there's only one place that can be found. And that true community that you're yearning for, that you're searching for, that you want, is found in Jesus Christ and his church and of the people of God. Are we perfect? No. Do we, do we strive to be perfect? Yes. But you know what? Jesus is the center in that community that you've been searching for. It can only be found and developed here and in this place. And so Paul writes to them, be united in love. And then he writes to them that you may know the fullness and riches and complete understanding, that you may know the mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? He says, well, Jesus. You may know Jesus Christ and all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So those are the three things, right? And so he's writing to this church to remind them those three things. But then there's a fourth. And the fourth is kind of really telling here of what, why he's writing this and why maybe what Epaphras shared with them about this church. Because, of course, he could have written that, those first three things to any church, anywhere, at any time. But the fourth thing is this. He says these words. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent with you in body, I, present with, I am present with you in spirit, that is, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Then he goes on and he talks about being rooted in Christ. But right after that, in verse 8, he says... See to it that no one takes you captive 
through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. In the day that they lived in, there were good-sounding arguments to how to live your life. You want to hear a few of them? See if they, they recognize any of these in modern times. First group was called the skeptics. That's what they were. They were skeptical of everything. Even existence, right? Do we exist? I don't know. Do we? Right? <laughs> they were skeptical of anything. Now, we use it maybe in a little more cynical term than maybe they did in those days, but nonetheless, it was there. Of Every single thing has to be questioned. Every single thing has to be not trusted. Every single thing has to just be torn down and ripped apart. Every single fault, every little tiny thing wrong with any little thing has to be exposed, expanded upon, and just thrown out there. Right? Sound familiar? <laughs> Skeptics, I would argue, still exist today. In fact, people find meaning in this all the time. One of my, one of my favorite uh, quotes from any Disney movie is, is one that's found in Ratatouille, right? And, and at the very end, if you remember the story, there's, of course, a rat who becomes a chef, right? And, and kind of this funny whole story that happens. And at the end, the you know, food criti critic like, finds out it's the rat really doing this, not the person that everybody thinks is actually cooking. And he writes this thing that says, you know, it's cheap, basically, to be a critic. It's easy. But the simple truth is that one person that goes out there and puts themselves on the line and is an artist, right, that creates even something that isn't really that great, is far worthy more, is far more valuable than what we critics offer. Right? And of course, there's this shallowness to it. There's, this, there's nothing to it. It just constantly rips down. It constantly looks out and rips down other people and other things, other thoughts, to constantly never offer anything but just be skeptical. I was pretty much the skeptics back in the day. Their whole purpose was to demolish. Right? That's where they found their being. Second group was the Stoics. And the Stoics pretty much thought this as get rid of passion. Just do your dutiful thing. Work hard, you know, do your thing. And when life gets tough, toughen up, buttercup, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that was the Stoics in an essence, right? It was do your duty, do your diligence, make sure you get all the checklists off your mark, get done with all that, and at the end of the day, feel good about yourself, pat yourself on the back. Go raw you, right? And, but don't get too excited, because excitement, you don't want excitement. That would be emotional. You don't want to do that. But pat yourself on the back, right? And yet so many people, I think, in our culture, even though they wouldn't call themselves Stoics, they live like it. They don't risk anything. They try to please kind of everybody in some ways. In some ways, they do their due diligence. They do all these things. But yet, they constantly really have nothing truly valuable in their life. Yeah, they show up to work. Yep, they clock out. But what else is there? The world is more than that. And the last group, of course, that was very big in the day, and there's probably there's subcultures and things of all this, but we're the Epicureans. Now we love the Epicureans. If you're like me, you have my personality. Epicureans, right? Yeah! And you remember what these guys were? These were the um, YOLO! You remember YOLO? I know it's old now, but like, like, you only live once, right? Don't hold back. If you have an option to do it, do it, right? YOLO! Or like the, uh, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? You have this chance right now to live and do something great. Who cares about the future? Live it, do it now. And in fact, find joy and contentment in entertaining yourself would be maybe a water way to put it. Find joy and contentment in always just exuberating and just having fun and doing all these things. Don't work hard. Who cares? Because you know what? Tomorrow it's gone anyways, right? And those were the Epicureans. These were the deceptive philosophies that were existent in the culture 
Colossae. Each one had kind of a sound argument to make and, and a way of living, if you will, that was very kind of attractive. And it would be very easy for Christians to say, you know what, let's synchronize what Jesus means to us with this here. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. And in fact, one of the greatest writings about Jesus that Paul has comes right here in Colossians that I'll read it to you again. We read it once, but I want to read it because it's so beautiful. That the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him in all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. You see, Paul is writing this letter and he wants to remind them, this is the message. Forget the philosophies. Forget these other sounding things. None of them are going to bring your fulfillment. The fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. Don't let the deception of everything else, whether it sounds good or not, and he goes on, and we talked about these philosophies, but he goes on to really talk about kind of the Judaizers again. We met them into the Gentiles that were saying, hey, you've got to become Jewish and circumcised in order to become a Christian. And he goes on and he kind of counters them and says a bunch of things there for them too. In other words, you cannot earn your way to follow Jesus, that it's a free gift that's given if you would accept it. So Paul's reminding them Jesus is the center. Don't lose who he is. Don't forget the fullness of God that's revealed in him. That's the power for your life. And if you do and you step closer to that Christ, you're going to find those things that we yearn for. Right? You're going to, once again, you're going to be united in love. You're going to be um, you know, encouraged, if you will, and you're going to find the fullness and completeness that the hidden treasures of all wisdom and knowledge found in Jesus Christ, rather in the sounding arguments, whatever it is in our day that tries to pull us away. Let us pray. God, as we're here today, we thank you so much once again for your word. We thank you so much for speaking through Paul to that church of Colossae. That God, it's come down and survived all these years to come down and to speak to us once again. As we're here, Lord, we receive it gladly and with open arms. And Jesus, as we look to you, we remember you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We remember you as the firstborn, as Paul says so many times in this, this reading. But truly, you have all authority of heaven and earth and on earth in your hand. Lord, help us to not find our life in anything else but in you. Help us to live in you. Help us to be filled with your spirit. Help us once again to be the church as you at its very center, now and forevermore. Amen. Please stand as you're able this morning, and let's sing this great old hymn, God Will Take Care of You.